I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. I'm Justin Quinn, and with the Boston Celtics headed to London this week, we thought we'd take a look at Celtics fandom around the world, as seen through the eyes of our two international writers here at Celtics Life, myself and Josh Coyne, as well as our special guest, Cameron, I'm going to try this, Tabatabai? Yeah, pretty good. Of Celtics Hub. Great. How's it going? It's going good. Hello from Melbourne, Australia. And hello from Leicester, the United Kingdom. And for those of you who are unaware, I am currently in Mexico City, thus being you know, an international writer thing. Uh, it's been it's been quite a challenge to get us all together, considering how far apart we are in the whole the whole time zone thing. It's been it's been quite the challenge. Even from an organization point of view, I consider this an absolute triumph, and we haven't even started yet. I'm pretty proud of us. <laughs> I agree completely. So we we have. A lot of stateside writers, you know, all, all over the country. We've got guys in Los Angeles. We've got guys locally in Boston, in the, the southern New England area, Rhode Island. We've got guys in Michigan. We've got guys in Arizona. It's definitely become a very dispersed kind of fandom in a way that is really surprising when you consider that it is a very localized fandom for most teams, like very few teams have the same kind of reach. I mean, like you could say like the Lakers and the Bulls and some of the, some of the more popular teams that won a lot of championships have, but we definitely have something as Celtics fans. A lot of, a lot of other teams don't. Well, they, they were saying, um, I was speaking to a lot of the UK writers that I speak to uh, on a podcast recently, and, that, and they were saying that they were expecting a majority of green in the arena this week on, on Thursday night for the London game at the O2 Arena. Um, and I was a little bit shocked by the fact that uh, supposedly it's a real popular opinion um, that Celtics kind of monopolized the UK market in terms of uh, NBA support, because... I've always still felt like I was on a bit of an island and still a bit of a cult member, to be honest, over here. It's a, it's a little bit like being a fanatic uh, soccer fan of, I don't know, like Tottenham Hotspur whilst being over in the States. So, yeah, for me, it still felt like I was part of a cult, but supposedly we're, we're massively popular over here. What about in Australia? It's actually fantastic to be an NBA fan in Australia. The timing is all off. It's really difficult to watch games, but... They love it here. Uh, wherever you go, uh, Melbourne in particular is a very casual place, and so walking around in an NBA jersey seems pretty commonplace. And it's like being in a music festival. You, uh, pretty much any jersey you can think of, uh, you can find. Yesterday I served someone at the restaurant I work at wearing a, an away Amari Stoudemire jersey. So there's definitely... I would say the Celtics are, are easily in the top five of most popular teams. And like you said before, uh, the Lakers are right up there too. But uh, people really flex in terms of jerseys and gear here. And uh, it's really funny to see what's resonated because I can't remember the last time I saw an Amari Stoudemire jersey, let alone I found it in Australia. He's, he's really popular in, in Israel for going over there and playing when uh, he had that time off from the league. Right. Well, that, that makes sense to me, but... Uh, it's not even well. Actually, the, there's a TGI Fridays in downtown here, and they have a framed Patty Mills jersey. <laughs> so the Australians definitely look after their own. But yeah, people just love the NBA here, and uh, I can't definitively say what team is is the has the biggest following. But certainly the Celtics are up there. I'm curious how all of us became Boston Celtics fans. For me, um, I grew up, uh, my mum and dad played basketball, which, uh, as I've already expressed, is quite a unique uh, hobby over here. Uh, not even really in the top 10 in terms of domestic sport popularity. Uh, and, they, and they played from me being very young. So I, I watched a lot of basketball when I was really young, basically going around with my parents. Um, and then... But as a byproduct of that, I was turned on to a lot of Larry Bird highlights. Um, and then around 06, um, I started getting it. I mean, this is a real kind of millennial way to be influenced, but I, I got into the 
uh, NBA 2K franchise probably around 2016. Sorry, 2006, and that gave me a real kick. Um, and, of course, I was using the Celtics at every opportunity. And uh, from then on, it was basically into the rabbit hole, and there's literally no way out by now. Uh, I was born in Boston, so my Celtics fandom's pretty linear. I I will parrot that I think video games had an astounding impact on me keeping up with sports fandom, just because I wasn't always the biggest sports fan growing up. Uh, and actually, the Celtics really endeared me. I give Walter McCarty a lot of credit for keeping me in the loop. I remember playing uh, in a basketball league and scoring like maybe a basket a game. And after the game, telling myself, like, that's okay. Walter McCarty sometimes only scores, like, a basket or two. Like, you, you just got to help when you can. So I grew up in Boston. So that was pretty easy. But the, the players themselves definitely kept me engaged. I, I would mirror that. I, I'd actually react to that and, and say that not not only did the, the video games have a big influence in terms of keeping you interested, but I actually think they taught you quite a lot. Because if you've got no real oh. direct exposure um, to the game and you're going play-by-play play through something, especially as they got more realistic, you start to really then become interested in what really, to me, is the most interesting thing about basketball, and that's the nuance and that's the kind of intricate um, tactical adjustments, things like that. And, yeah, I would credit that to a lot of my kind of obsession beginning. That actually has been a pretty big part of what kept me interested in basketball. I also grew up near Boston. I am originally from Eastern Connecticut, and I am pushing 42. I'll be 42 in a few weeks. I, I became a basketball fan, and I'll say I was a casual fan, you know, at the tail end of, like, the Larry Bird years, which were, were still good to watch, but he, he really was, you know, fighting through the back stuff at that period of time. So, like, you know, they weren't winning any championships anymore. This is the late 80s, 88, 89, 90. We all know what happened next, you know, the wilderness years, and it was just miserable. Luckily for me, I had the Yukon Huskies coming into their own at that time to hold my interest through that really, really difficult period for Celtics fans. As, as I got older, I, I became less interested in the tribal aspect of it and more interested in the nuts and bolts, X's and Y's elements of it. And then... After the breakdown of the new Big Three era and trying to understand how Danny Ainge was going to take that magic and like put it in some kind of like a battery, if you will, in, in terms of like draft picks and trades and whatnot, like trying to understand the rules of how he could possibly do that got me into the salary cap and all kinds of minutiae that probably bores most of our listeners. But for me, at least, it's, it's one of the things that has added to my fandom in a way that really video games haven't um, just because as, as a PhD student, I have almost no time for video games or really anything. Kind of sucks. Well, I know this is a part about a, uh international fandom but for whatever it's worth the the way that 2k breaks down like pretending to be a gm or an owner actually i think makes all of the finances and backdoor stuff it's oversimplified but it also makes it really accessible so uh again this isn't really a, a podcast about video games so we can move on but no it's still interesting and relevant i think and actually yeah i'm sure that, uh josh like you said there are people around the world for whom uh, a new window into the nba is offered by video games so if we get a, a listener from the 2k franchise keep up the good work guys thanks thanks for all of the fun but i i would i would continue on what you say justin as well in in the sense that from a transactional point of view uh, i i agree that it once you become obsessed with the kind of um like Danny Ainge from, from when the big three broke down, when you had to kind of stop focusing so much on team affairs and more on franchise affairs, where he basically was playing a really complex game of Monopoly, uh, where he could have made mistakes. He possibly nearly did make a lot of mistakes, but ultimately he's got us to this situation where we are now from making bold business decisions. And once you become obsessed with that, I don't really think um, there's a way out of basketball fandom. I think that's when you've truly buried your head in it. I think all three of us have. <laughs> so I'm curious if you guys are okay with saying with sharing this, and you're totally cool if you don't want to, how we got where we are and what else we do besides write. You know, I'm sure the listeners don't want any like, you know, 
detailed biographies or anything like that. But I'm always curious when I when I see you know fellow Celtics writers out there and sports writers in general, like what else is going on in their lives. Josh, you go. You go first. Okay. Well, I have always been kind of well from a day to day basis. I work in sales. Um, and you can get me on the phone. I'm only joking. Um, (laughs) So I work in sales, but then um, in terms of what I do when I get home and what I kind of work towards and what I I really enjoy, it's generally speaking, it's always been the creative stuff. So from a young age, I was always into into writing certain things and uh, I'm into producing music, things like that. Um, and for that reason alone, then I re- just really get a kick out of creating something and putting it out to the world. And a lot of what, you know, journalism and podcasts and things like that, uh, that that's what it is. You know, it's, it's a correct creative pursuit. The, what actually got me into it is, is I, I had a word with someone who I know is a really good writer, um, who basically just said, start blogging, blog, 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 and, and, and keep writing all you can, get involved with people who, who interest you. Um, and from then on, it'll build and, for that reason, I found myself at Celtics Life, who, yeah, mass- massively helpful avenue and a, a good a good group of people. Um, and I also just write for basically various websites, UK-based websites, things like that. Um, and, yeah, that's basically where I got to here. My story's a little different. I was studying the environment in college, which I guess lends itself to a little bit of writing, but writing was not necessarily a, a trade skill of mine or anything. Uh, and I happened to know Brian Robb from way back when, and uh, at the time he was managing Celtics Hub. I reached out to him, and he was very kind enough to give me a shot, and so I started writing for Celtics Hub. And actually kind of the opposite happened, that I got into this rhythm of writing, and for a year I was working in an elementary school, something I loved, but you know, wasn't that there were some dead ends there because I didn't have a degree in it. Uh, I ended up landing a marketing job, that centered around writing. Uh, and I could talk about what I was doing at Celtics Hub in this job interview, something that I didn't really have experience for. Uh, and so then my my schedule became marketing during the day and Celtics Hub at night. Uh, heading back to the international theme, that company downsized. And so I used that opportunity uh, to decide to go on this Australian adventure. So now I I work at actually it's funny I work at a restaurant here and it's themed it's New Orleans themed an Australian guy had a Sazerac and loved it so much he went to New Orleans and then he loved that so much he opened this restaurant uh, so now now I'm a Pelicans fan and that's great uh, but yeah no I I do still do Celtics Hub when I can just because I love it uh, I'm writing for an Australian website here called the Pick and Roll. And that's really just because I, I like writing about basketball. It's fun. It makes watching basketball a little more engaging and a little more challenging. Uh, so, yeah, it started as a hobby, and then it became a an asset on my resume, and now it's still a hobby. I actually found my way into writing about basketball from several friends who do the same thing. It just kind of felt like a natural extension of what I do when I'm not writing about basketball, which, as I hinted at earlier, is anthropology. I'm a PhD student in anthropology. I study how people represent their transportation needs uh, here in Mexico, which is how I ended up in Mexico. I met my wife here. I'm going through a very exciting process of dealing with immigration, which anyone who's ever dealt with immigration in any country can probably vouch for the the fact that if there's anything out there that is less fun than the Department of Motor Vehicles, (laughs) that is it. Another thing that I found about writing about basketball in general, too, and this kind of got to what you were saying about the Pelicans, um, I've become a a bit more basketball agnostic. I I used to be like the most rabid UConn Huskies fan and the most tribal uh, Boston Celtics fan in in my late teens and early 20s. And like that, that mellowed out a bit, but it really mellowed out to the to the point where now when I'm, I'm watching games, like I, w- I would just have the worst time ever if, I, if we were losing a game. And like, I still get upset, but it's definitely modified, you know, not, not just how like I feel about games, but how I feel about basketball in general. And I tend to follow players once they leave the Celtics or, or 
For example, my, my Huskies fandom has me following the Detroit Pistons and Charlotte Hornets and other teams that end up with UConn players on them. And I'll root for them as well. Like, not the way that I root for the Celtics, so don't crucify me if you're listening. Uh, I do still place the Celtics as, like, my primary team that I focus on, and not just because I write about them, just because I have this irrational connection because of the spot on the planet I happen to have been born. Overall, I definitely have appreciated what writing has done to to how I consume basketball. Yeah, I think as soon as it goes back to what we said before, I think about how you start to think more about the business side of things and the kind of um, what the NBA actually res- represents. And I think that once you kind of, you have that perspective, I think that you then start to be less tribal, as you mentioned before, and you start to think about it in a more kind of progressive way. Um, And I think as soon as you do that, you start to actually enjoy the game overall uh, besides just kind of specific team affairs. So you are headed to the Global Games? Yeah, on Thursday, I'm going to the um, game at the O2 Arena, um, uh, basically the premier arena for sporting events uh, in the United Kingdom. For We're getting a visit from a couple of basketball teams, one of which is the mighty Boston Celtics. Um, and I've been doing a lot of talking about it and writing about it in the, in the last week or so. Obviously going to be a good matchup um, as everyone's going to kind of raise their game. I'm sure that guys like Embiid and Simmons are going to, going to try and uh, to make a name for themselves over here even more. Um, but yeah, the event itself is great. Generally speaking, I've, I've, I've talked to a few people about it and stated that the atmosphere is sometimes strange because you've got that kind of neutral, uh, neutral. There's no real kind of, you, no one's pulling, no massive majority is pulling one side or the other. Uh, so therefore it creates a kind of impartial echo around the arena. That's pretty good. There's a lot of kind of uh, upset about the ticketing situation uh, since the tickets went out because there's been a lot of resale sites that Very have been, um, I've heard. yeah, they've been taking advantage of, of it. Uh, and I've, I've said this in a, on a couple of other occasions in the sense that I'm, I'm due to, I'm heading over to Boston in uh, February and um, the flight and the ticket to the two games is, um, is the same price as some of the remaining tickets, uh, which are in the upper tier. Um, so kind of no, nosebleeds, to be honest. Um, but aside from that, it's going to be a hell of a spectacle. Uh, I'll be going. I'll be going early in the um, early in the afternoon, going for shoot around. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be getting into the uh, pre and post game press conferences, uh, and I'll be at the game. So, yeah, really excited about it. Josh, can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Uh, as unbiased as you can be, how would you compare the hype to this game versus when the NFL comes to London? Okay, yeah, that's a really good question. I have a lot. the The problem is we all kind of live. In the same way that, like, our um, sense of hope for like political decisions is shaped, <laughs> is shaped by our social media bubble, I think that a yeah. lot of a, a lot of the same kind uh-huh. of thinking happened for 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 this kind of thing. So, f- for example, I do have a lot of friends who are into the NFL. So on Facebook, I will see a lot of NFL hype because all of my friends are into the NFL. Um, so I'll see a lot of the build up to that. And also they have a lot more games in the NFL. So I actually think in terms of a single game hype, especially with the media, this is, this is much more intense than the NFL has been. But I'd say that the NFL is becoming more of a household name due to the regularity of it. And also, um, kind of, I guess the similarities between the NFL and it kind of crosses over with rugby and football a little bit as well. But, um, it's, def- it's definitely growing massively in the UK and the interest is definitely intensifying. Um, but I would say in my social media bubble on Twitter, where all I care about is basketball and music, I would say that the hype has been crazy. Fair enough. Now, in Mexico, we actually, we, we do have both sports visiting here. I didn't get to see the Celtics this year. They had, I think it was the San Antonio Spurs and the... Brooklyn Nets and one other team, the Suns, I want to say, came. So I didn't go this year. I like those teams, but not enough to, to make the trip out to to the stadium, Stadium Azteca. 
But when the NFL came, I'm not an NFL fan, so I wasn't too interested. But, I mean, they really went crazy here. Like, there's a major street um, called Reforma Avenue, um, and that street had commissioned, like, government-commissioned football designer football helmets with, a, like, a Mexican touch to each each team in the NFL going all the way down as an art installation. Oh, I think I saw that it was crazy. I, the NFL needs to, uh, excuse me, the NBA needs to take a book or page out of the NFL's book and, and try doing stuff like that for promotional stuff. It was really interesting. And I don't really have an accurate way to measure which sport is more popular in Mexico. There might be some research out there. But to me, at least, it seems that they're about equal in terms of how often I see somebody wearing, you know, like a jersey or a hat um, on the subway or on the street. But in, in terms of like institutional support, the NFL definitely seems to have a bit of a lead. I mean, I'm not sure, like too sure how long they've been coming here in terms of global games. I think the first one I can remember was about 2011 or so. But at least for now, I think that probably the NFL has at least a little bit of a lead, at least in terms of support. There is some talk around the NBA that expansion might end up happening with Mexico City being a potential option now that the key arena renovation for the Seattle Supersonics making a comeback to the league, potentially, if everything goes right, uh, with a with an endpoint goal of 2020. So if Mexico City is a realistic target, which I think it is, I think that's probably the soonest we would see any kind of an expansion. But I'm curious to hear your your, your guys' idea of what expansion might look like if it happens and your opinion about whether it will even happen at all. I think it's funny. The Las Vegas Golden Knights can just pop up and be a thing in the NHL. And I know the scale of the business is a little different. I don't think that the owners or, or the league itself is going to care too much about, uh, I mean, first of all, balance 31 teams is a weird number of teams, but uh, if, if there's money to be had, I think the league will do it. And just the way that the, the league is trending nationally and internationally, I imagine the money is there. So I, I imagine it's coming from my point of view. I think the the investments in the G league are really interesting, but I don't know that we have enough talent to field 32 teams right now. I think uh, if you look at kind of some of the teams that aren't doing so hot in the league, there are a few outstanding players, but maybe not enough to, to warrant 30 more players in the league. So selfishly, I don't really like the idea of expansion. I think that the league is sort of competitive enough or, or maybe even at, it, at its wit's end with competitiveness. Uh, but I don't want to deny the good people of Seattle or Mexico City the right to root for a, a basketball team. So, yeah, uh, I don't really feel strongly that they should expand, but I don't. I will be really excited when they do, kind of at the same time. Uh, also, just for a, for a note, uh, I said root for, and I guess in Australia to say that you root for the Celtics means something very different than it does elsewhere in the world. So if you're ever in Australia, you don't root for the Celtics, you go for the Celtics or cheer for the Celtics uh, because otherwise you're saying something that's a little dirty. I don't think the Celtics need you to do that on their behalf. Um, In in terms of the, um, by the way, people can Google that if they listen, because we're not going to say it, but um, I don't. Well, I'm not. Mass- I'm not. <laughs> I'm not massively opposed to expansion. Um, I think that before expansion, however, they need to take a kind of really long look. And I'm not going to name any names because, generally speaking, I don't think it's fair because people because teams go up and down in term, terms of business, and it's usually team related in terms of performance. Um, but there are so many teams that struggle for numbers on a weekly basis. Um, And it's not a great model. Uh, Obviously, teams are getting better at doing so, filling the arena, you know, the branding isn't spot on. But when you know for sure that there's cities like Seattle and potentially Mexico that would 
you know, it would be a mecca, you know, for, for the city, a sporting mecca for the city. And it's a little bit difficult to consider expansion in my mind when you know that there's already arenas that are half full on a, on a nightly basis um, and kind of dwindling business for the franchises. Yeah, that is definitely a major concern. Cities like New Orleans, which you know has lost its team before, and like Memphis, between what they've done to themselves in terms of their roster and just their general problem-filling seats, as well as what you mentioned, Kim, with the, the talent issue, it's a real problem, and I'm not really sure what the answer is because some of that talent, and I'm not saying you know the top tier talent obviously, but some of that talent is going overseas to Europe and to China, and also even increasingly to Australia. So in my mind, they're dealing with this issue where they have kind of keep ahead of the Joneses, as it were, in terms of other competing leagues as as the sports global profile grows with the NBA. But then also those issues of talent dilution are not, you know, just a talking point that, you know, people who don't want foreign teams to happen use. It's a real thing. And I'm not really sure what to do about it. I do see how Mexico, here in Mexico City, there, there already is a pro league. It's got a very low level of talent. It's probably about equivalent to some of the worst leagues in Europe. For, for people to understand, probably around the same general level as a college basketball level of talent. If you if you have three or four NBA level talent ever playing on the court at one time, then that's a pretty good game. But they're they're taking a very cautious approach in Mexico. They just started up a academy to try to drum up some some. Very few people go into playing basketball here, kind of like with you, uh, Josh, over in the United Kingdom. Most people obviously are shunted mm-hmm. off towards soccer or other sports. So. Really, I mean, though people do play basketball here and, and, you know, in schools and whatnot, it's not a focus in the same way that it is in the United States and a lot of other places. So like they did in India to this to the similar end to try to get more people who end up in other sports or end up in no sports um, involved in the sport, they've opened up an academy here. And there's already talk about either here or in Monterey opening another G League team um, potentially as soon as this year, as this upcoming season, like that the one that we're in, but the one that's coming after, obviously. So to me, that spells like a, a very slow approach that will allow them to kind of pivot on a dime if it doesn't look like it's going to work or some kind of major obstacle, like, <laughs> I don't know, a wall <laughs> that ends up popping up um, in the interim. So, I mean, that's something to keep an eye on. But if... Mexico, Australia, and the United Kingdom somehow ended up in the NBA. What would they call the teams? Because of my feeling towards some of the names in the NBA, I, I, I don't think I would even imagine a good name. So all of the effort I would put into trying to think of a good name and get creative, I know for sure that they'd end up calling them like the British Bulldogs or something because at the end of the day, we've got an NBA team called the Pelicans. So... You know, yeah, man. You know, I actually I was really down on that before somebody put out an explainer for it, basically explaining to everyone just how badass pelicans are. And as a longtime Florida resident, it's not untrue. It's not the worst. I kind of like it. Uh, someone I work with here is from New Orleans, and and he's resentful that they pulled the city on what they should call the, the team name, and then they just went with what the daughter wanted, the owner's daughter. So knowing the history, that's a little bit of a bummer. Josh, I like British Bulldogs. <laughs> I thought that... it's kind of good. It's kind of good. Okay, well, Off we need cuff, to keep this great. archive then for what, if one day it happens, then I'm definitely making some money from it. Yeah. And also, so just, also, I guess yeah. the old wrestler called the British Bulldog would would have to cl- claim some money as well. Maybe, yeah, maybe he could like talk before the games or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to answer your question, though, for a Mexico City team, I think uh, I think the best answer is the Jaguars, just because Jaguars were the, the, the Jaguar Warriors and Aztec culture would look so good on a jersey. Uh, I guess there's already a Jaguar team in professional sports, so there's a precedent. Uh, I also wrote down the Quetzals. Bear with me; this is gonna get nerdy. Uh, Quetzalcoatlus was a major yeah. god, maybe the major god in Aztec culture. Uh, there's also a really awesome uh, pterosaur, the flying reptiles from the dinosaur age. 
called Quetzalcoatlus. Uh, it's kind of ugly looking, but I would love to see that as a mascot. Really? Uh, so yeah, I think jaguars would be pretty fitting. Selfishly, like the term Quetzal. Uh, but I think I think Mexico has all sorts of things it could run with. Uh, something involving like a, a Day of the Dead skull would look really good. I guess Ooh, the they, calaveras, yeah, that would be good. I guess they just have to tread the line of what's they just you can't appropriate things. But then again, if the team is run by Mexican investors, then I guess it's up to them. I, the Celtics logo is appropriated and kind of horrible if you think about it. It's yeah, I've I've actually struggled with that quite a bit. I, I'm you know Quinn is probably not that miraculously uh, of Irish descent, and you know like stage Irish, which is it's been a thing for so long that. You know, Lucky the Leprechaun and Irish Yoga, as it's called, which is basically a derogative term for passing right. out in all kinds of ridiculous positions. There's there's some pretty problematic stuff attached to to what is generally looked at as innocuous Irish culture. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, at least our, our 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 Leprechaun is a little bit less racially stereotyped than Notre Dame. Yeah, the Notre Dame one is I'll tough. Take that, I guess. Well, I well. My family um, come ever since I was very young. I've been going back and forth to Ireland because when you think of um, the romanticized idea of Ireland, um, kind of the, the Father Ted style Ireland, um, is the kind of rural mountains house, five mountains, then another house. That kind of yeah, Sad roof. yeah, exactly. So yep. that's that's kind of where my family's from, and I go and visit a lot and. I just need to say that they, the way in which, like like you've already touched on, the way in which Irish culture is celebrated by Americans is is obviously exaggerated, like tenfold. It's it's crazy. St. Patrick's Day, much more of a major event over there. Um, much more. It's hyper version of what St. Patrick's Day actually is in Ireland, uh, and that actually. Is just is has always been funny to me, but in terms of the appropriated logo and things like that, the imagery, I truly think, from my experience, and this may may be an inaccurate uh, statement based on just what I know from family and what I know from people I've met in Dublin and over in Galway, is that I truly don't think they'd give a shit about the appropriation <laughs> of the leprechaun. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of have gotten the same general feeling too. It doesn't seem like the problems that plagued Irish Americans uh, exist in the same way. I, again, I, the NBA not anymore, anyway. Right, the NBA is so good with optics and and reacting to the culture at large that the, there's no way they would mess up whatever a move to Mexico would look like by picking a, an insensitive mascot. But I suppose, as someone who's never been to Mexico and and only knows so much about Mexican culture. I'd be worried that, that you could come up with some rough ideas, but hopefully a Day of the Dead themed team could. I mean, Coco, that Pixar movie, it looks like they did a fin- phenomenal job of breathing life into to the whole holiday. So I'm sure there's a way an NBA team could do it in the same way. And I think Day of the Dead skulls on an NBA jersey would look really good. I would definitely buy myself one. I mean, I definitely. Calaveras are a unique cultural symbol here in Mexico. Calaveras um, are skulls. There's like the sugar candy skull things you see from, from Day of the Dead. I don't think that if it, if it was a, you know, U.S. team, that would be very problematic. But I, I, I personally don't think that something like that would be received poorly here considering it is celebrating Mexico from a Mexican perspective. I don't think it would ever get to the point, as you were saying, where if it was viewed problematic locally, I'm sure they would do focus groups and, and that sort of thing just to make sure that they weren't inadvertently about to create a major shitstorm for themselves to deal with debuting what is really a really risky move. Yes, the, the reason why they're even considering Mexico City in the first place is that not only is it a 30 million head media market, Really, it's also a beachhead into all of Latin America because there are no other, you know, foreign teams besides the Toronto Raptors, and that's just one country. So it's not like there's a bunch of countries north of Canada that share a lot in common culturally, particularly language-wise, for them to tune in and hear someone speaking in their own language and 
the NBA is also looking at that as, as a means for getting more exposure in Latin American markets that mostly broadcast soccer. Like when I go into a bar here in Mexico City, you can't really see NBA unless it's the playoffs or a marquee matchup game. But if you just want to see like the Celtics versus the Nets or just any kind of like a regular season game, you either have to ask or you have to find your own way to watch it. Which brings me to something else I wanted to ask you guys about. Now, Cam, you mentioned something about what you do uh, or what you have to do to see games because of the time difference. And I know, Josh, you also deal with something like that. But for me here, there's just no broadcasting anywhere. So really, my options are League Pass borrowed from a friend mm-hmm. or, or very, very completely legal, I am sure, because I found them on Reddit and Reddit never ever links you to anything bad, NBA streams. What do you guys do when you want to watch games? I'll let Cam take this one, and then uh, and then I'll explain. So, okay. uh, options for League Pass are limited. Uh, every Australian that I've met has had so many different ways to illegally watch television here. None of which I would partake in. But uh, a lot of talked, a lot of people I've talked to, it's. Uh, I forget what league passes at home, but it's it's on the order of three hundred fifty dollars a year, four hundred dollars a year to pay for it in Australia. Uh, so I've been recommended getting a VPN, which masks your computer's IP address, and then buying Canadian league pass, which is cheaper. So huh. that's what that was like the chief recommendation to me from people who wanted me to be able to watch basketball games. Uh, there are a few bars that peg themselves as international sports bars that you can go to. So, uh, for example, the Patriots playoff games, I can go there and reliably watch it on TV or, or a big NBA game. I don't know if they have league pass. I can't imagine. Uh, and then otherwise, uh, I've been told there are ways to watch NBA games online. And I've been told that sometimes you end up watching a French broadcast. Uh, and, I've, and sometimes that's just the way it is. <laughs> You've, you've been told a lot of things, Cam. I mean, one day maybe you'll act on one of these things. You've definitely just been told. We have two um, in one mouth so we can listen to twice as much as we say. So I, um, I've, had, uh, I've, I've got League Pass. Um, so generally speaking, I, I can watch it every game. But the, um, the problem is, is obviously the time. So generally speaking, an early usual tip-off uh, when it's not the weekend would be 12 o'clock, uh, tw- so midnight here. Um, and sometimes uh, I used to stay up a lot more, especially when I was a student, of course, because your uh, sleep sleeping pattern is out of whack. But um, I, used, uh, I used to stay up, but now what I'll do is I'll wake up early, uh, especially for kind of every Celtics game, um, um, and I'll watch the entire game uh, by waking up about two hours earlier than I would for work. Um, and then when I'm home, I'll watch various kind of usually condensed some full games uh, around the league. Um, but yeah, it's a challenge in terms of time. Um, funnily enough, I just saw um, Taz Mellis of the, um, of the starters. He just shared, he just shared a, I didn't see him. Uh, I may see him over NBA London, but he he shared a screenshot of his um, of his app, his viewing app, uh, and he said that I, I'm astounded by. I was just astounded by the tip off times of live games um, when I went onto the app. So he's just kind of he's in London and he's just getting used to the time zone, and he's received nothing but snarky comments like, "Yeah, well, this is what we have to go through, so get used to it," kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's not a very big deal because I'm basically just in Central Time because I'm south. Well, yeah, any any West Coast games, it's like two, three o'clock, two, two, three a.m. So, um, I basically will never watch any of those games live unless it's the playoffs. Yeah, games. Uh, a East Coast Celtics game will come on at eleven or eleven thirty in the morning, the day after it's supposed to happen. So. Uh, when I'm not working, it's as easy as getting on my computer, but most people in the world are, I guess not most people, actually young people here work a lot in hospitality. So maybe that's why everyone has an NBA jersey, but, uh, (laughs) it's the middle of the day, have your lunch and watch a basketball game kind of affair. So what are your 
peers, like your the people you work with, the people you hang out with? I mean, are they also NBA? Like you said, a lot of people in the service industry are are into the NBA or at least wear NBA jerseys. I mean. Do you actually find that the people that you are around in your respective home, well, I guess they are hometown now, at least for, yeah, for all of us. Um, like what, what is it like for for them to be around you being, I think it's pretty safe to say all three of us are, are basketball obsessed. I have a few people or, or friends here that uh, they might know more about the mid 2000s NBA than I do. Uh, it seems like young people, so I'm, I'm in my mid-twenties, so people that I'm hanging out with, they're keeping up just about as much as I am. I mean, again, we know the, the nerdy behind-the-scenes stuff, but uh, when, when Carmelo Anthony drops a hard MF bomb on TV, Australians know about it too because of social media and, and whatnot. So uh, I find that at least a lot of the people I talk to are are keeping up in the same way that if you go to a bar, not everyone in the U.S. is, is up to date on what's happening with the NBA. I did have a job interview where uh, the guy asked me about the Golden Gate Warriors. So maybe some of them are lying about how much they like the NBA. But on the whole, at least again for, for my peers in their mid-20s or so, uh, the same proportion of, of my friends probably like the NBA with about the same ferocity. Um, for me, uh, it's a, it's perplexing, I guess, confusing. Um, they're, they're not as in tune with it. Um, everyone I work with is football obsessed. Um, everyone kind of, there'll be events, uh, there'll be cricket events. Uh, I'm sure Cam's hearing a lot about the cricket at the moment yeah, um, because I can't, because <laughs> our countries are um, at loggerheads against each other in the cricket, um, but the yeah, so there'll be events that, but but football dominates um, rugby as well in 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 my hometown. Kind of is a is a big thing, um, but I, I, all I'll get really is is questions really, um, and there'll be kind of feigned interest sometimes. Um, a lot of people really into it. Uh, a lot of my close friends really into it, uh, just as much as me, just like Cam said, really obsessed. But in terms of when you go out into the world, the workplace, it's not a household name. Uh, there'll be questions. There'll be, like I said, feigned interest and kind of little nuggets of knowledge, like um, LeBron James is a good basketball player, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's about the, the level of uh, the interest I find mostly around Mexico City. I do occasionally run into people in probably more logical places. Like, for example, there's a guy who is the biggest Chicago Bulls fan. And, you know, me finding him in a gym and him being a Chicago Bulls fan because Chicago is one of the main destination cities for Mexican migrants, um, that kind of makes sense. Generally speaking, though, for the same reason that you, you noted, that it's not a major sport here. It's, it's more of an event when we find each other through, you know, various sports paraphernalia being visible out in the street. So it's really, it's really hard for me to get a, a good feel. I think maybe with more time, I'll have a better idea. I've only been here about two years now. Yeah, I think it's only going to get better. Uh, it, it's so wild to me that the MLB and the NFL have, have been so dismissive of Twitter and what social media can bring for exposure. I think the NBA does such a good job of making itself accessible that uh, if there's an interest any in any corner of the world, you can follow up and, and be an NBA fan these days. So I can only imagine that the NBA world is shrinking pretty rapidly. So I wanted to leave us with a question before we go. Given we're all speaking to each other from different sides of the globe, how does that line up with Kyrie's views of its shape? Have we proved him wrong? Right? Is the earth actually round? What are your <laughs> thoughts? If I was to try and attempt to go and visit Cameron right now, based on that theory, I would be extremely worried about falling off the edge of the earth. So that's all I'd say. I think that uh, going to school outside of Boston and now living abroad has made me 
a happier sports fan. I feel like there's less tribalism in my heart and I, I feel hard. It's harder for me to hate or, or feel disdain for an NBA player. If it wasn't Kyrie Irving peddling flat earth stuff, I think I would be so upset and angry. Uh, maybe it's just the moment of time we're in, in the country and in the world, but it seems like he believes it or like refuses to let the joke die. And I, there's a certain amount of pain in my soul because of that. Uh, also, he was born in Melbourne, Australia and flew on a big airplane around the world to get to where he is now. And I don't know. I just, I, I'm at my wit's end with the, the flattered stuff. It's funny. It's frustrating. It's stupid. It's all of those things. Uh, if Kyrie ever gives us a listen, please reach out to me and we can talk about the science behind and the math, more importantly, about why the earth is round. Like, has he ever met an astronaut? Can't they just be like, hey, I've been outside of earth and I can see it. And now you're being great. Like, that's insane to me. I don't know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> he, he, he definitely doesn't believe it. He definitely doesn't believe it. He's kind of, um, even from uh, quotes today, uh, he makes kind of a conscious attempt to be kind of a pseudo-intellectual. So every answer he'll kind of carve to make it sound kind of mysterious um, and kind of make himself sound like a bit of a renaissance man. Um, I love him as a basketball player and, you know, what, what he's done uh, here in Boston. And he's got my full support, but not when it comes to Science. theorizing scientific certainty. Yeah, he's got to cut that one out of his repertoire. Uh, off air, Justin and I were talking, and Josh, you should, and anyone listening should. The Guardian had an interview with Jalen Brown where he discussed everything from race relations to uh, how sports relates to culture at large. He is not a pseudo-intellectual. Jalen Brown is a very smart young man, and I, I recommend reading that. And Kyrie Irving, I bet you are a smart man too. I would rid yourself of the, the chains of the Flat Earth Society and, and start anew uh, because that, that, one, can, that's, that shtick is old. Can I just comment on that, um, the, the Jalen Brown piece? So um, I actually I know uh, via social media, I know the writer who did that. He's a great profile writer. His name's Donald McRae. He's a legendary boxing writer. He's got like 10 books. Um, he's uh, always doing great stories on people and he's got a really good, interesting slant for every story. He's the one who went over to Boston and he spoke. He's, a, he's from the UK. He went over and spoke to um, Jalen and really kind of, he drew some incredible answers from him. Um, and I spoke to him this afternoon, Donald, uh-huh. and he said, what a fascinating guy. You know, he, he, you know, he knows that I'm a Boston fan. So he said, you've really got an interesting athlete there. And I said to him, when he signed and a lot of people were looking for the nickname and a lot of people were reading into the fact that he studied where he studied and, you know, he's into poetry, he reads books. I thought, okay, but I know a lot of people who read books and is that how low the bar is for <laughs> athletes nowadays that that's considered intellectual brilliance. However, I read that today and, you know, a couple of quotes here and there. I had started to think maybe he was the coolest player in the NBA because he's just oozes it really, oozes coolness. But the intelligence really struck home today because he's thoughtful for such a young guy. I haven't really heard an, uh, an athlete articulate the race relations, Trump, anything like that so brilliantly. So shout out to Jalen Brown and a massive shout out to Donald McRae who put together the piece. Well, speaking of writing, what are you guys working on? Anything? Anything you want to plug while we get you on here? Well, I'm going to be in, as I've said, I'm going to be at NBA uh, London. So I'm just going to be gathering as much content as I can from there. Uh, and then for various UK sites and also for Celtics Life, I'll be contributing as soon as I'm done doing that, hopefully with some some pretty sweet content. Well, you guys at Celtics Life were gracious enough to host me. I write for Celtics Hub. Uh, I did a quick little thing on actually on the international side of the Celtics roster. They have, If you count Kyrie Irving, they have six international players, uh, which not only is, I think, a Celtics franchise record, but 
is consistent with I believe it is. the uh, NBA just continuing to integrate international talent. So uh, if you're so inclined, head to Celtics Hub. I talked about Daniel Tice and Abdul Nader and all the other uh, foreign-born players that are playing for the Celtics at the moment. Oh, yeah, and uh, um, I'm going to check that out. I also, sorry, I, I know I'm kind of crowbarring this <laughs> in um, almost as almost as a humble brag, but it's because I'm like an excited little boy. Uh, but this week I, uh, for a UK site that um, I actually got to uh, speak to various members of the Celtics roster and uh, President Brad Stevens. President Brad Stevens, if only. But I, um, I, I, I got on, in on a conference call um, and he actually articulated something that I'm sure I'm going to read about in uh, Cam's piece um, about the importance of the international influence in the game uh, and things like that. So, yeah, it was a hell of an experience. So uh, I'll be milking that for a while. As you should. Well, I'm going to get us out of here. You guys have been very gracious with your time. And for me, it's just the afternoon. But I know for you guys, it's very early evening or excuse me, very early morning and very late evening where you guys are respectively. I want to thank you guys for sticking it out and making this thing happen. I know it was a really big, it was a really big ask, and I really appreciate it. Check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com. You knew that was coming. We have a very large variety of shirts and hoodies, Celtics-oriented. Can't get them anywhere. They are distinct to CelticsLife.com. And you can even get tickets to, not the next game, because that's in London, and I'm pretty sure we don't have tickets available to that based on what you're telling me, Josh. You can find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something or just have a suggestion, let us know in the comments of any article uh, on CelticsLife.com or on Twitter for any of our own respective Twitter handles or the Celtics Life Twitter handle. Or use the hashtag CLPod, C-L-P-O-D. We're always trying to bring you the Celtics coverage you want, the way that you like it. Anything you guys want to say before we're out of here? Uh, yeah, just thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really thankful. This was a really good conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, and uh, I hope to hop back onto a Celtics Life pod again sometime soon. Absolutely. The game is tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have this up before then, and I'll be watching it with you all. Take care, y'all.